come undone. Hello and welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza and I am your host on this journey through the underrated or underloved movies out there that just, I think, need a little more attention. And today's movie is going to be a, an especially fun one. I know I say that about every podcast, so you, you've stopped trusting me. But this one, I have very high hopes for, because we are talking about a movie that I think is so fun. There's so many funny things going on in it. I've seen it so many times. And I'm talking, of course, about Not Another Teen Movie from 2001, which uh, I would call maybe the last great comedy spoof movie. But yeah, this is one of those, there is so much going on in it, and I know so many people that love this movie, so we are just going to dive right into this one and have some fun and laugh, and and this one is going to be a little out of control, so I'm already I'm already marking right now that we will be putting the little, little explicit rating on uh, iTunes, so get warned for that one. Uh, my co-host today is the uh, perfect person to bring on to talk about not another teen movie because his last name is Cummins, and I'm very excited for all the cum puns we're going to jump into on this one. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Let's see. I don't know what you're known for. He's uh, he's just a guy. He's a movie fan, a shadowy, lurking figure. Welcome to the show, Kevin Cummins. Yes, thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm just a guy. Uh, nothing special. I'm not on any podcast or anything like that. But uh, yeah, I am the perfect candidate to talk about not another teen movie with the last name Cummins. And I'm ready for all the puns. Uh, I went to an all-boys high school, so uh, nothing I haven't heard before. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Kevin, my co-host who's older than seven. <laughs> I'm glad you went to the, the Austin joke before I did. <laughs> yeah, I was actually thinking all day how I'm going to start with an Austin joke, and that's the best I could come up with because your name does not rhyme with many things other than heaven, and I'm not going to use heaven in a sentence, so sorry. Well, does he rhyme all the time? I think sometimes he'll just say something and then add Mr. to it. Like, you got a nice podcast here, Mr. You got a nice podcast here. <laughs> okay, for people who don't know, this movie came out in 2001. It is a uh, parody of basically every single teen movie, every single teen movie cliche trope out there. And it's one of those that was hyped really a big deal at the time there's all these movie posters and they had like yeah. a little thing with all these uh one-dimensional characters on the poster like the token black guy the the smart jock the nerdy guy the fat kid and it was one of those i expected nothing from this looked like the stupidest movie ever and this was kind of in the era when they were doing these these uh genre spoofs of where they just throw every single you know recurring trope at the screen as they can and i always thought it was kind of stupid and then this one came along and I saw this for the first time, and I loved it so much. And I, I was, it was one of those, it's one of the best return on investments movies I can ever think of, where you go in expecting nothing, and it was so much better than what you were thinking. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you, you would think absolutely nothing of this movie. It's, it's sort of, I think it still gets lumped in with those later spoof movies that came out, like Date Movie and, and, uh, Meet the Spartans and some of those other ones. But it really is so much better than that. I liken it more to, uh, you know, the scary movie and some of the older spoof movies, because it's really smart the way they uh, they go about doing it. Now, is scary movie really smart? I'm just curious. I, that's actually what I've only, I've only seen parts of. It, it's it's decent. I would say out of any parody movie, I'd say this is probably the best of all time. But I don't think it should be categorized in the same uh, same places like scary movie or any of those other ones that I just mentioned. This isn't a league of its own. It's top tier. 
the one thing about this movie that I have to say, obviously this movie, this is the type of movie that does not go over well with critics. The critics did not <laughs> like this movie especially. But it's funny because like even now if you go online and you read recaps of it or reviews, even a lot of audience people don't like it, which is astounding to me because almost every single person I know loves this movie. And it's just one mm -hmm. of these like I almost feel bad doing it on staff picks because to me this is super popular. Like everybody I know who likes comedy just knows movies, knows movie references, tropes and stuff like that really gets this movie. It speaks to you because there's so many things going on in it. But yeah, it's it's one of those where there's just a real split. There's like people really love it or really don't like it. And that, I find that odd because I, I have a hard time believing people would not like this movie. It's just fun. Well, I think that depends on where you look because I actually, before we went to talk about it, I went and looked at some critic reviews on IMDb and, and Rotten Tomatoes and stuff, and they're all you know panned. Critics hate this movie. <laughs> but it, it depends on where you look. If There's a, a website called Letterboxd. I know one of your other guests, I think it was whoever was on Brigsby Bear maybe, yeah. mentioned uh, the website Letterboxd. And it's a great way to categorize, like um, keep track of every single movie you've ever seen. And the comment sections and the reviews on that website particularly, it's a bunch of really nerdy movie fans. you got to be really nerdy to want to keep track of every single movie you've seen. And they love this movie. If you look at the reviews on that, they all compliment how, how smart it is, uh, the way they use – You know, we'll, get, we'll talk about what makes it so good. But they love that movie particularly on that website if you check it out. I recommend it. Okay. Yeah, you're – okay. I remember that now. Yeah, Lisman talked about that on Brigsby Bear. Okay. Um – What's your history with this movie? I'm curious, like, what's, how old are you? When did you grow up? I'm curious, what's your knowledge of teen movies going into this movie and, like, the genre in general? Well, it's great. I had two sort of experiences with this movie. Uh, I watched it, I guess, I was born in 93, so I was, like, 10 years old, 8 years old for the first time I saw this movie. Mm -hmm. Good. Uh, so a lot of the references and stuff went way over my head. A lot of the sexual references went way over my head. Uh, but a lot of the slapstick humor I enjoy, the toilet humor I thought was funny, so... <laughs> And there's a lot of stuff where it's universal humor that sort of anybody can can find funny and get a laugh out of. And then, you know, later on, as I had seen a lot of these 90s comedies and, and stuff like that, and I watched it later on, I fell in love with it even more just by realizing how well they uh, they spoofed all of these these uh, movies. And the references is just crazy amount of, of stuff that they plug in. Yeah, it's it's funny that you saw this at eight. I'm sure there was some really nice moments, especially in the brother sister relationship with Catherine and Jake. The uh, yeah, yeah, incest goes over very well with eight year olds. I've noticed. Yeah, it's great to be introduced to stuff like that at a young age. <laughs> yeah, and um, I I don't have to tell people who know this movie this, but for people who don't know, this is a really dirty movie. Like it's filthy. Yeah. Like it's, it was absolutely would not have been allowed in my house growing up. But luckily I was, you know, you know, it was 19, 2001, so I was 27 when it came out. So I was I was right in its wheelhouse. And it's it's funny because uh like you think this movie you, that you need to know all these references to get this movie. And that's actually not the case because I I'm not strong. I'll flat out admit it. I'm not strong in the 90s teen movies. I'm much more based in the 80s teen movies. I know all those like the back of my hand because that's when I grew up. But like she's all that can't hardly wait. Ten things I hate about you. I don't know on a quote quote by quote basis. So that's a little tough for me. But I still love this movie. And it's funny because this movie skewed. It's like 80 percent 90s references and maybe 20 percent 80s references. So, mm -hmm. again, that's the thing. You don't need to know every little detail in this movie. You just need to know, you know, the general gist of it. And then what happens is as you go and pick up those movies later, then you'll appreciate not another teen movie more. So that's my my main little uh, spiel here that 
I'm not really the target market for this movie, and I loved it. I, and I think another thing that makes this good is that a lot of it is visual, where you never really need to watch those other movies. You sort of maybe just see the trailer or or something like that, because it will get into it. But the, the the sets are like spot on exactly from these other movies. So as long as you sort of see the trailer and are vaguely familiar with the with the movies that they're lampooning, you could sort of get what they're going for, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's I actually have a personal story about this this movie because I, I talk about this on Staff Picks all the time, that I'm always introducing movies to my daughter. and I have a daughter who's 18, and I'm always trying to get her into movies that I liked growing up. Mm-hmm. And one of the genres that I have the hardest time with is teen movies. She will not watch a high school movie, teen movie, anything that's even remotely like a rom-com. She thinks they're stupid, they're cliched. She's like, I will not watch it. She won't watch anything. She saw The Breakfast Club once, and she goes, I want to throw up. That's the most cliched, hacky movie ever. Oh, my God. Yeah, so (laughs) this is the, the kid I'm dealing with. So I keep telling her we should watch Not Another Teen Movie because if you hate teen movies, this is right up your alley. And Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> but she won't do it. She will not give in on this one. So I'm having the hardest time with her trying to get her to appreciate this one in particular. So I just uh, hope all my listeners out there wish me luck because this is like the holy grail of movies if I could get my daughter to actually sit down and enjoy it. Oh, this is the perfect movie for anybody who thinks that teen movies are stupid because the way they point out some of the stupid things in teen movies, like, oh, Janie Briggs, she's got glasses and a ponytail. Oh, it's the ugliest girl in school. That might be the my favorite, funniest storyline of any movie in the 2000s. <laughs> it's, it's so awesome. Yeah, the ugliest girl in school is oh, glasses and a ponytail. Yeah, we're going to go through that. We're going we're gonna to go into our favorite moments of this movie. But, yeah, this is... Very clever jokes, and again, it's if you look at the the uh, credits for this movie, it took five people to write it, which is usually a uh, a disaster, usually a warning sign. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we'll get into the writers and stuff. I have some some fun facts about that. Okay. Yeah. So let's let's just dive right into this because again, we we have a lot of fun stuff at the end of this podcast that I want to get to. So we'll do a cursory little run through of the plot just to get you familiarized with it, but. Yeah, the fun stuff is all going to be at the end, so make sure to hang around because we have we have some com- compiled some lists for you guys. This is going to be a fun one. All right, let's go. All right, so this movie, again, it was basically written as a parody of 90s teen movies, and then kind of at the last minute they decided, well, we better throw some 80s stuff in there too. So that is one thing you do notice as you go into it. It's very 90s-based, but it is the story of a, uh, a football player named Jake Weiler, um, played by Chris Evans. Now, are you a Chris Evans fan? Captain America. Yeah, of course. So uh, nowadays, yeah. But it's amazing to think his uh, he has humble beginnings. Yeah. For um, just I hate that I have to spell this out, but for for complete for uh, completion's sake, Chris Evans obviously a big star now in all the Marvel movies, all the superhero movies. But he got his humble start here in not another teen movie as Jake Weiler. And I will say this personally that I. I was such a huge fan of this movie when I first saw it, and he was the guy that really stood out to me. I'm like, that guy's so good that he's going to be a star one day. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, and I read modern reviews of this movie now that say, oh, it's it's jarring to watch not another teen movie and seeing Chris Evans doing the silly comedy. It's hard for me to process that in my brain. And for me, it's just the opposite. For me, it's like, it's hard for me to process that Jake Weiler is now Captain America. It's weird to see. <laughs> it just depends on when you saw Chris Evans first. Yeah, he's he was great in this. Uh, I always thought he's in another good uh, like early two thousands movie, The Perfect Score. Mm-hmm. It's like an MTV movie. He's always been really good like that, so it's not surprising uh, what he's gone on to do. 
it's just funny uh, that this is his first uh, feature film. What a debut. What a debut. And then he did one called Cellular that I'm a big fan of as well. In the yes, yes, Cellular. Was it Kim Basinger is in that one too, right? Okay, I, I will I will do this. I was going to save this joke for my Cellular podcast. But yeah, Kim Basinger, <laughs> widely known as not one of the brightest people in Hollywood. That was kind of her stereotype for many years that she's not, she's not known for being especially uh, well-spoken or intelligent. And in Cellular, she plays a science teacher. So I just have to give a <laughs> shout out to that. Gotta give her something. <laughs> okay, yeah, so it's Jake Weiler, and he's Mr. Popular, the captain of the football team. And we have this wonderful shot at the start of the movie where he walks in, and he, like, sees a picture of himself on the wall as, like, Mr. Popular, and he turns around and does a smirk to the camera. And it's just one of those scenes that endeared me to this movie the first time I saw it, because it's this perfect little Freddie Prinz impression. Yeah, they, they, they do shot for shot. I think they, they make fun of his shoes, the shoes that he wears, and, uh, and she's all that. Yeah. When he exits his car. And of course, his license plate says Filthy Rich. <laughs> yeah, so Jake is Mr. Popular around campus, and he hangs out with his buddies. We have the fat guy, the football player. We have the cocky blonde guy, Austin. And we have probably the best running joke in this movie, the token black guy. Yep. <laughs> Played by Dean Richmond. <laughs> yes. And again, these are all just tropes from teen movies that anybody who's seen these over the years would know you got the one black kid in the movie and they even have him saying in this movie that well i'm just here to to nod and never be a part of the storyline and then he'll even say i'm just here to say stuff like shit damn shit that is whack that is whack although later they add another one where he says bling bling oh yeah yeah That's when they have him. They have him uh, in all the stereotypical. Like in each scene, I think his hair changes. Where he's in cornrows in one scene, and then they have him in Jerry curls. Like they do a great job with him. Yeah, that's that's the genius we're talking about with this movie. Some yeah. of the background jokes. I never even noticed that they put him in cornrows. <laughs> the, the scene where he says bling bling. He's got like this big denim jacket on. He's always changing outfits. If you look. <laughs> I'm surprised they don't have him in, like, a little buckwheat straw hat at some point. <laughs> just go all the way with the joke. Oh, uh, they should have. And then, this, so it's the story of him, Jake Weiler. He's Mr. Popular, and he's dating the head cheerleader, played by Jamie Presley. Just, again, all these are just over-the-top stereotypes. They're doing all the things you see in any teen movie. Just the bitchy cheerleader. She's, like, mean and walks around campus insulting people. And she breaks up with Jake. She She's dating this new guy played uh, named Les who, for some reason, is played by, the, like, the kid from American Beauty, the kid with the video camera in the bag. Yeah, yeah, I always, that's another thing, where it's a stupid thing in in, uh, in a teen movie, even though American Beauty's not really a teen movie, but, you know, it's, it's a stupid thing in a 90s movie. Like, this guy, the most beautiful thing he's ever seen is a plastic bag? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I've always wondered that, why they chose American Beauty to be a teen movie, because, again, I would not classify that as a teen movie either. Yeah, definitely not. I mean, I don't know. It's just again what they're trying to point out how how some how stupid some of these plot uh, plot points are in these late '90s movies with uh, incest and <laughs> thinking plastic bags are the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. Yeah, and it's funny because I I'm a big fan of American Beauty and I love that beautiful. You've you've seen it, right? Oh yeah, I love American Beauty too. Okay, yeah, and it's funny how they treat that whole bag and beauty as being super profound, and then in this movie they just tear it down, which yeah. is, I just love the glee with which they destroy that. It is kind of funny, because the first time you see American Beauty, you sort of appreciate that, but then when you watch this, you're like, yeah, yeah, that's pretty stupid. <laughs> it's even written on the bag, the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. <laughs> it's 
printed out on the bag. Yes. So we have the main character Jake. We have his little posse, including you know all his all his uh, stereotypical friends. And now we have the female lead of the movie, Janie Briggs, who I absolutely love. I think she's so good in this movie. Her name is what? Kyler Lee. Kyler Lay. I uh Kylie Kyler Lee. Yeah, Kyler Lee. I think it is. Yeah, and I think she's really funny in this, and she's someone I haven't really followed before or after. But just it's just one of those things. I think every character and actor in this movie is really good. And we open the movie, and this is, you know, near and dear to my heart, <laughs> the opening of this movie. Oh, yes. Yeah. This is the one, if I do watch this movie with my daughter, this is the uncomfortable scene to sit through. <laughs> There's a couple, but they, yeah. they, they, they like to start it uh, strong. Yeah. Yeah, this one starts with a bang. Again, anybody who's seen American Pie, very, very iconic teen movie, knows it starts with a scene where Jim is in his room at the start of the movie watching porn and he um as teen boys do he becomes engorged and he starts <laughs> pleasuring himself with a tube sock and his parents walk in and it's one of the most awkward scenes you're ever going to see in a movie well this scene they decide to flip that and they decide to start with Janie Briggs a girl watching uh what is she watching she's all that I think at the start oh great I <laughs> I quoted it down she's watching um it's supposed to be She's All That, but they never give a fake title. But if you listen to the dialogue, have you ever listened to the dialogue of what the two characters are saying? No, I haven't. Oh, it's Freddie Pringe. He's, he's saying, I met a whole other person inside of you. And the girl goes, there's a whole other person inside of both of us. Says, I would have never found that whole other person inside of me if it weren't for the whole other person inside of you. And she goes, well, the whole other person inside of me thinks the whole other person inside of you has come a long way. <laughs> It's just great how cliche and cheesy some of those those uh dialogues are. Is that real dialogue from She's All That? No, I don't think so. But you know, it, they're just they're just making fun of how how cheesy it is in in some of those movies. Yeah. I just thought that was great there. And anyway, as as we find out later in the movie that Janie Briggs masturbates to She's All That. Yeah. <laughs> so, I masturbate to that movie. So so the opening shot is her pulling out a vibrator and basically pleasuring herself to a teen movie as her parents walk in. It's just like American Pie. Well, funny thing, they actually ended up, uh, they initially just wanted to make fun of the first American Pie with uh, him, you know, masturbating in his room. Mm-hmm. But the joke of his, the parents coming in and, and then the, the, the priest bringing all the children from, from her choir or whatever it is. <laughs> Uh, that was unintentional. They unintentionally uh, made fun of the second movie, too, because that's the opening of American Pie 2, which was filming at the same time of Not Another Teen Movie, where he's having sex with uh, his girl in his college dorm room, and his parents walk in with the cake and stuff. Like, <laughs> they, were, they were ahead of the curve on that. That's unintentional. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, like you said, everybody... Everybody comes walking in as Janie's got a vibrator basically inserted into herself. And, like, yeah, it's the her grandparents walk in. And then, like, the priest from the local youth center with all the kids that she mentors. And they're carrying balloons. Janie's making weird faces. <laughs> it smells in here. <laughs> so these are the this is literally the first two minutes of the movie. So Yeah, 90 seconds in. Yeah, so you know what to expect when they start off with the perfect female parody of American Pie. And it is funny when I read the reviews, I read the uh, the Roger Ebert review, and he says, oh, it opened, that opening scene, it's embarrassing with the vibrator. <laughs> I'm like, what movie are you watching? Why is that not funny to you? Uh, what a stingy guy he was. <laughs> I think Ebert needed to watch She's All That a couple more times. <laughs> Maybe you want to relax some tension in him, if you know what I'm saying. Okay, so yeah, so this is our, our lead, Janie Briggs, 
And again, this is why this movie is so beloved, this this plot twist and that <laughs> any 80s, 90s teen movie, what they love to do is they would love to make a girl awkward because they love having awkward females in movies like, you know, coming of age, finding their finding their confidence. And they would always take a hot actress and just kind of ugly her up by giving her glasses and a ponytail. Mm-hmm. And then, then in this movie, they double down on that. They literally take this Kyler Lee who is super hot. Yeah, and they literally just put glasses on a ponytail, and they don't even try to ugly her up. She's still hot, but the, throughout the whole movie, everyone talks about how hideous she is because she has glasses and a ponytail. And the, the third thing, the she has overalls. She's an artist. Oh, she's got yeah. paint on her overalls. She's hideous. Oh, paint-covered overalls. And the, that's the actual opening shot, I think, when they're panning to her bed. It's actually the paint on her overalls on the floor, like the dirty clothes. <laughs> Again, just so many little in-jokes, just the way they focus on stuff. You'll hear background characters saying stuff. Yeah, visually, uh, visually, this movie is is perfect. You know, they they really do such a good job uh, where you don't know you, you don't need to know any references or anything like that, you know. Yeah. Well, they flat out spell it out at the start of the movie. We, you know, it's this opening scene. We go, it's John Hughes High School, which right off the <laughs> bat, they say they, they give homage to their mentor. And they have a uh, tour guide basically showing people around the school. Oh, there's all yeah, the jocks. <laughs> it's Ted Mosby. Yeah, it's the guy from uh, 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 How I Met Your Mother. What is his name? Josh, Josh Radner. Yeah, so you have a douchey Ted Mosby making a cameo in this movie. And he's always making little oblique references to how, how stereotypical this school is. Yeah, he's pointing out like, hey, you, you jocks need to separate into that corner. Hey, 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 these are these are your friends for the next four years. <laughs> okay, so the crux of this movie is that um, is that Jake has been dumped by his girlfriend and he's been he's he's been challenged by his friends that you know, Mr. Popular, I bet you can't take any girl here and make her the prom queen. And he's like, bets on, I'm Mr. Cool, which again is really just she's all that. Yeah, it's the exact same plot. <laughs> so. So they have to pick a girl for him to make the prom queen. And there's all these hideous girls at the school. You have, like, the, the freakish albino hippie singer. The conjoined twins, the Fratelli sisters. And the one that I forgot, there's the hunchback. There's, like, Quasimodo girl just walks around and lurches through the quad. Oh, really? I, I forgot that one. That's really quick. The hunchback? Yeah, it's right at the start. Yeah, the hunchback. So they turn down all these other girls because they're not hideous enough. They're trying to pick the most hideous as a, what's the exact word that his friend uses? Uh, I'm talking about a real shit bomb. <laughs> yes. And the biggest shit bomb they can find is uh, Janie Briggs because she has glasses and a ponytail. <laughs> and paint on her overalls. Don't forget about that. It's disgusting. <laughs> And they just really play this up with all the friends just, oh, God, Janie Briggs got her nose. She's, look at those glasses. I love the way that, that Chris Evans says, oh, Janie Briggs. Oh. Just disgusted. Like, you got to be a really good actor to act disgusted. <laughs> yes. So this is the plot of the movie. They bet him he can't take ugly Janie Briggs and turn her into a prom queen. And this will become the whole storyline of the movie. And basically... You know where it's go for, gonna go from there. He's gonna he's gonna bet. She's gonna fall for him. He's gonna he's gonna screw it up. Then they're gonna fall in love. And she's gonna learn it. As the token black guy says, you're gonna learn a valuable life lesson along the way. <laughs> you know what? That was really thoughtful and insightful. Should appreciate you more. Okay, so besides all this, that's really the plot of the movie. And after that, it's really just side characters and side jokes and references to oh, movies yeah. and all sorts. Just dozens and dozens of them and. Man, what do you think? Should we actually go into the movie more, or do you want to start going into the stuff we like about it? Yeah, we might as well just list off uh, things that we like about it. I want to set it up with um, the director, Joel Gallen. Mm-hmm. 
him and the writers, Mike Bender. I know Mike Bender is one of the main writers, and there's a few other ones I can't really remember off the top of my head. But these guys actually worked at MTV um, in like the 90s and the early 2000s. And they, um, Joel Gallen was actually the director or the producer of all those MTV spoofs that they would do at the movie awards. Are you familiar with those? I don't remember specific ones, but I do remember those being a big thing. Oh, yeah. They, it was a big deal. Like MTV, every year at the movie awards, they would have these skits where they would make fun of uh, whatever the popular movie was. I know some really popular one. There was a, a Spider-Man one with Jack Black. They had a Matrix one with Will Ferrell that was really funny. Just a bunch of them. And they were really, really good and funny. Andy Dick was in a bunch of them. So these guys had a lot of practice uh, making fun of all of these movies for years. They've been doing it since the 90s. There's even, I think in 1999, Jamie Presley, who was in this movie, was in, was actually in um, one of the spoofs. I think she did the makeout scene from, uh, was it Cruel Intentions? Mm-hmm. She actually did the makeout scene with another actress for the MTV Movie Awards. So you got a, there's a connection in there. And it's a reason why this movie is so good and why they, they do such a good job at recreating all the sets and and working with the actual dialogue of the movie. Sometimes they would just like dub the, the dialogue from the movie and just insert the actor in and make jokes off of that. It's really good. Okay, yeah, I had no idea this movie had such a pedigree behind it. So that actually explains quite a bit that if you had people that were already doing this kind of humor. Yeah, it shows on why this is so you know polished and well done. This guy's been doing it for since the 90s, I think. Okay, so at the risk of making this an hour and a half podcast, I think we're going to stop the summary of the movie, and we're just going to go into little details about this movie, why we love it it so much. Yeah, because I I think we literally have a list of like 30 or 40 things each. Yeah, I got about five pages. (laughs) (laughs) I know. So, and we're going to do our best to explain this to you as if you've never seen this movie. So, Kevin, that's the plan here. We're going to, we're talking to people who are on the fence. Maybe they haven't seen this movie. Explain a joke and why you think it's so amazing. Are we, are we good for that? Yes. All right. So, I will start here with one. Here's a little great instance of why this movie is so clever. Just jokes on top of jokes on top of jokes. If you don't know where this movie was filmed, it was filmed at Torrance High in Torrance, California. And I know that just because I used to live down there. I lived in, when I first moved to California in 1999, I moved to Torrance. And Torrance High School is literally right down the street. And what's funny about that that high school is that it was used for other high schools and very, very many <laughs> famous things, including 90210, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I think maybe this, the original She's All That. I'm not sure if it was there or not, but... This is a place that historically is known for where teen movies are filmed. This is the uh, ground zero of teen movies. So they used Torrance High for this movie just because that's where every other movie was and TV show was filmed as well. So just a little meta in-joke that you may recognize when you watch the movie. Yeah, I think they even used the exterior for Preston's party is the actual uh, Ferris Bueller's house in Long Beach, right? It is. Yeah, it's the same house. Yeah. So just little stuff. And they don't even spell these jokes out. You just kind of have to know this. And that's that's why I appreciate this movie. It's so good on repeat viewings. The more you learn about teen movies and the stories behind them, the more you will appreciate this movie. So there is my first little thing that I love about this movie. So, yeah, um, visually there if you could pause any scene in this movie and sort of look in the background, there's a lot of funny signs. There's so much. A couple of the really good ones, uh, the cafeteria is named the Anthony Michael Dining Hall. Mm-hmm. If you look in the background of uh, of the gym, I think when they're trying to sneak into the girls' locker room, the there's a lineup for the latest sports team's game, and it's the Wasps, the their team's Wasps versus the Stray Cats. <laughs> I always thought that was funny. 
Um, let's see. The the breakfast scene club has the the clock. Clock is twenty minutes fast. Mm-hmm. It's a good callback reference to Breakfast Club. Um, one thing in the background you you didn't mention is there's actually one joke in this movie that they screwed up that they blew the reference. Do you know which one I'm talking about? They screwed up. No, I don't. All right. When you're in the Anthony Michael dining hall, there's a a food cart in the back. Oh, the hot dogs. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. It's supposed to be carrots. Yeah, it's supposed to be carrots. It's a reference to uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. They have a in the a food cart in the cafeteria, and it's hot dogs. It's a guy giving away hot dogs, and the producers meant it to be a reference to Fast Times at Ridgemont High, where uh, Phoebe Cates is teaching how to give blowjobs, and she's using a carrot. <laughs> they screwed it up, and they thought it was a hot dog. So it's actually a blown joke. That should be a carrot stand back there. Well, they got a couple other uh, Fast Times references right. If you look when uh, Ricky is chasing Jake at the at the end, mm-hmm. and he's crossing the street and trying to avoid all the cars, if you look in the background, there's a Spicoli TV and stereo repair. <laughs> yes, I did see that. Jeff Spicoli's dad's got the ultimate set of tools. Yeah. And then in the classroom for the toilet scene, uh, written on the chalkboard, it says, I don't know, from the famous scene from Fast Times. I love that. Yeah, the I don't know on the chalkboard. and. I will say I, I do remember the first time I saw I saw this movie as you're watching it and they're just unspooling all these references to teen movies. I was a little disappointed they didn't hit Fast Times a little harder. But yeah, there are a couple of little things in the background and they do use the songs uh, Somebody's Baby during the chase scene at the end. But Oh yeah, that's another thing with the music. Yeah, oh yeah, the music is amazing. They have so many classic references to music to songs and scenes in, the, in teen movies that it's just it's amazing when you start listening for it. Well, we'll get into the music. There's a few other um, visual references that uh, I gotta gotta mention. Let's see. There's <laughs> when the guys are talking about, hey, there's an undercover reporter posing as a high school student. There's a sign in the background that says explicitly, there is an undercover reporter posing as a high school student at this school. <laughs> uh, when the guys enter the vent before um, they try to sneak into the girls' bathroom, it says maximum capacity to adolescent boys. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. And what about the pies in the in the Briggs household? Yeah, okay, yeah, that was on my list as well. All the pies with the holes in them. Do you notice uh, when he, during the end when Jake visits their house and they're under the t- the the table, the, the piece of lettuce with the hole in it? <laughs> no. Oh my God, you got to watch it again. There's a piece of lettuce and there's just a giant hole right in the corner. <laughs> Ran out of pies. Yeah, we're gonna try not to do go much into the too much in the Chris Farley show here where we start saying, Hey, remember this. But yeah, for yeah, people yeah. who don't know, yeah, Janie's dad, she's like from the white trash side of town. She's on from the the other side of the tracks. And her dad is like this embarrassing Vietnam vet played by Randy Quaid. And he apparently has sex with every piece of food in their house. <laughs> you don't see it explicitly until the very end where he, he jams cr- pies into his crotch. But if you look, every single piece of food in his house has a hole in it. Meaning, again, he's been banging it like Jim in American Pie, including, yeah. as Kevin said, the lettuce that apparently I wouldn't think the lettuce would be satisfying. I'm not sure for our, our vegan friends. Maybe somebody could tell me, but I don't know. But, yeah, the lettuce, lettuce sex. That's a good one. Yeah, um, that's about it. Also, um, Cody McMains, does he remind you of Ethan Embry who, who, from uh, Can't Hardly Wait? I feel like that's why he was cast. He looks exactly like him. Which one is Cody McMains? I don't know all the actor names. Uh, Mitch, Mitch. Yeah, Mitch is in the movie is Janie's little brother. He's played by this guy yeah. Cody McMains, and he, they tend to uh, rotate his character based on which movie they're spoofing. Like at one point, yeah, he plays a bunch of different ones. He's he's, he's John Bender. Hall, yeah, then he's Bender from Breakfast Club. Yeah, he's all over the place. He kind of does remind me of uh, Ethan. Yeah, that's probably why he was cast. Yeah, he looks just like him. I thought that was a pretty cool uh, visual nod too. 
I'm going to move on to my next thing that I appreciate about this movie. And uh, this is one that's near and dear to my heart because I just loved when they would take these little tropes that I always found stupid and annoying. They're not even the major tropes of the movie. But in the 90s, it became a big thing that you'd always have, like, the little white kid that talked like a rapper, like Seth Green, historically. The little <laughs> white suburban kid who thought he was black. Yeah. And in this movie, they take that trope, which, again, was all over the place in every movie at the time, but they make him Asian instead. Yeah, they go the other way with it. So it's the white kid talking like, like he's an Asian kid. And he's like, yeah, what up, my chinks? And, like, all the Asian kids are like, what the fuck? Get away from me. And then there's the white guys that are trying to act like the black guys, like... <laughs> That guy's that guy's white, man. Can't he see that, yo? <laughs> yes. I just appreciated they took that trope, and they it's the exact same things you were seeing in every movie at the time, but now it's a kid pretending to be Asian, which, again, was not something you would historically see in a movie, and that is uh, Sam Levine, Sam Levine from uh, Freaks and Geeks. But he doesn't do much in this movie, but I just appreciate that he's there for no reason. They were, we're just making fun of this uh, the suburban rap kids uh, trope. <laughs> And I always thought they were trying to go for a long duck dong thing with uh, with him. That's like mm-hmm. another 80s reference, probably. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I never thought about that. But yeah, it's most definitely a long duck dong. And he, again, he's quite embarrassing in the movie. But you know what? So is long duck dong. So it was a perfect representation. Yes. All right. So what do you got? What's next on your list? Something little that stands out about this movie. <laughs> the game that uh, Jake blew, they were up 42 to nothing. Yes. The... Uh, Okay, yeah, for, I'm going to set the scene for people. There's a football game in this movie, and they they really tread heavily on Varsity Blues. That's a movie they go back to time and time again in this movie. But there's a little Lucas in here as well, which is a very obscure 80s movie to be referencing. Yeah. But yeah, we go Lucas. So set the stage for our Varsity Blues slash Lucas parody in this movie. So it's the football game. I think they're up 42 to nothing. Um, Jake Weiler, star quarterback. And for some reason, the coach is throwing a little, what, is, what do they call him, Marty? <laughs> Marty, yeah, we, we we have a special needs kid on the football team for some reason, and it's, again, you <laughs> go back to the movie Lucas, this little tiny kid in glasses who's borderline retarded, you throw him onto the football team for some reason, he's on there, and it's like the last play of the season, we're going to put him in the game, it's like Rudy Rudiger, throw him in there just so the, <laughs> the kid can have a chance, so yeah, Marty, this, who's half the size of NBA on the team with these giant glasses, uh, yeah, they put him into the football game. Yeah, so they put him in. Uh, they set up the play. I think that they have they have that scene where they they're all like pushing him down the line, <laughs> and then they they, they started. Uh, Marty gets his own his own moment, and then he catches the ball in the end zone. And then what happens? Two huge two hundred pound football players collide into Marty and crush him in half and cut his body open into two pieces. <laughs> Yeah, it's the it's the first movie you're ever going to see where a special needs kid is torn in half on a football field. <laughs> and the visual effects are especially good on it. The, you know, the the guts and stuff, it actually looks pretty gruesome. <laughs> <laughs> and again, that's you wouldn't even know that's a reference to Lucas until you if you unless you know your 80s movies. And I have to say there's a great follow-up to the scene where after Marty is torn in half by the football players and it haunts Jake, our main hero has killed the little special needs kid and it haunts him. And later in the movie, he's given a second chance to go into a football game and and redeem himself. And as he's walking onto the field, you hear just someone in the background, some oblique comment from the from the crowd, somebody yells, "Do it for Marty's torso." <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of off-screen uh, character mentions. That, like, I think when uh, they're announcing the prom prom king, somebody's like, "Marty, Marty for prom king." <laughs> yeah, 
just endless rewatch value on this movie. Just listen for the side comments and the background comments, people yelling stuff. Yeah, there's so many all throughout the movie. <laughs> all right. And it's great, yeah. All right, so we go to the, here's another thing that I like about this movie. We, we go to the, the movie Cruel Intentions quite a bit, and I've never actually seen all of that movie. I've seen, obviously, the greatest hits. I know basically what it's about. And we have a uh, wonderful character in this movie named Catherine, who is played by uh, Mia Kirshner, and she is basically a dead-on parody of uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar from Cruel Intentions. Is that the right movie? Cruel Intentions, right? Yes. And she's just this cruel girl, and in, in, like, in Cruel Intentions, it's a brother and stepsister. They have this weird incestuous relationship where she's always trying to sleep with him. And in this one, we drop the step, and they're just straight-up blood relatives, and she's always trying to bang her brother. Which is one of the, one of the one of the dicier storylines in this movie that she's always trying to have sex with her brother, and I always love Catherine's first line. Again, she steals almost every scene she's in in this movie because she's so horrible. And she, we introduce we're introduced to her in high school the very first day. She walks up to her brother and she says, uh, "Why do guys always try to stick it in my ass?" <laughs> so if you're wondering for best first lines, yeah, best first lines in a movie. It's great. It's actually the entire uh, Weiler household that's trying to encourage the incest because I think was it his father is trying to get him, his mother to <laughs> make coitus with him. <laughs> All right, there's another little scene I think people might not remember if you haven't seen this movie in a while. That yeah, apparently Jake's sister is not the only one trying to sleep with a blood relative under the roof. That let's go to the dad scene here. So what is he? Uh, I think Jake comes into his room and his dad is trying to really encourage his son to follow in his footsteps to the T exactly. Um, so he wants him to go to Princeton from Varsity Blues. Yeah, it's exactly like Varsity Blues. He's got to be the star quarterback and all that. I think he even says um, says the quote, I don't want your life or something like that. I don't want your life. I don't want your life. Uh, but it's great if you look at this like plaque of its uh, – or the wall of Jake's accomplishments. <laughs> he's got photo. He's photoshopped Jake's picture into Jake's father's own pictures, like his uh, Princeton graduation and his wedding day, <laughs> and marrying his own mother. Yes. All right. Yeah. So the the joke there is that the dad wants the son to follow in his footsteps in every way possible. Be a star football player, go to Princeton, and we're gonna up the stakes here by when Jake was dumped by his girlfriend. The dad's gonna say, "Well, I have another girlfriend for you. Here's mom." And so mom comes in and she sits down. She looks all expectant, thinking Jake is going to, like, basically have sex with her. And dad's like, here's your gift. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I kind of forgot about that. But, yeah, the, the Weiler household perhaps could use some counseling. Indeed, yeah. It's it's another thing. It's just a crazy plot plot point of Cruel Intentions with we're really popularizing incest. <laughs> it's really it's really the main storyline in, in this uh, this big-budget movie. And so they really went with that and... And went full full on with the incest. Yeah, it's surprising that Roger Ebert did not like this movie. Yeah, I don't know what, what he didn't see. I should point out just another little visual detail that if you pay attention when that whole scene where Jake's in his bedroom and the dad's trying to get the mom to sleep with him, that's the uh, that's the same bedroom from American Pie. That's Jim's bedroom. They have it decorated exactly the same. I think even both even um Catherine's bedroom is the exact same bedroom from Cruel Intentions. Like they <laughs> recreated the sets exactly. It's great. Okay. Another little thing that we like about this movie, and this is something near and dear to my heart again, like I say that about every one of these things, but there's one character in this movie who never gets spoken about, and I think he low-key might be the funniest guy in the movie, and that's Ricky. The uh, Oh, God. Janie's got a best friend, 
And this is basically, uh, if you've seen Pretty in Pink, this is basically Ducky, the uh, asexual best friend who's always hanging around Janie and trying to hit on her, and she never notices that he has the hots for her because she's going to fall for the cool guy instead. And this guy, Ricky, is so amazing in this movie. Every single scene he's in, he's fantastic. He's... I don't even know the actor's name. I just remember he's pining for Janie. And he's, he, he gives her mixtapes. He stands by her and, and just gazes at her, her lo- at her locker. One of the greatest scenes in the movie, he's reading this poem in class. Like, was it 10 Things I Love About Janie? Yeah, 10 Things I Love About Janie. It's supposed to be 10 Things I Hate About You, yeah? Yeah, it's so great, that poem. I wish I could quote it. Just the way the actor sells how much in love with Janie she, he is, and she has no idea. So I will just yeah give a shout-out to Ricky. Ricky kills it. Yeah, the the acting in this movie is great, and especially in that scene, he totally sells how how just sadly in love he is. I love following Janie to the mall. He's like choked up, and he loves uh, <laughs> the little hairballs part. Little Janie balls. He just he really kills it in that. Little Janie hairballs. <laughs> and then he just cries off. He can't finish. Yeah, Ricky forever will be will will be shunned and cast aside. He will never get his way. We will go through this whole movie him pining for Janie. He has this stupid little purple hat on. He's got these little Mork suspenders. Just the biggest 80s dork. And again, he's he never he will never win. That's the thing with Ricky. At the end of the movie, we have this thing with him and Jake are going to be chasing after Janie. And he'll get, like, run over by a car. Like, all the people... He gets wrecked. <laughs> he gets destroyed. So, Ricky, the low-key MVP of this movie, just absolutely steals any scene he's in. Yeah, he's the tragic character of this movie. Yes. All right, what do you got next? Um, I got a fun fact. Are you aware of the controversy with um the character of Ariola? I am picturing about ten different controversies. I'm curious <laughs> which one specifically you would mention here. Well, there's a specific one. I was a uh, young when I first saw this movie, so it was a bit of a shock to me that um the actress uh who played Ariola? I forgot her name, Ser- Serena Vincent or something, was actually the played the Yellow Power Ranger in one of the. Uh, Early series of the Power Rangers. Okay, to sell this joke, explain to people who might not know this movie, who is Ariola in this movie, and why is this a big deal? Ariola is basically, um, she portrays the Nadia character from American Pie, who is the foreign exchange student who is only there for poor nerds who cannot get American pussy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And uh, she is topless throughout the entire film. Yeah, she never wears a shirt. She just walks around school. No. Not only is she topless, she has a see-through plastic backpack, so you can <laughs> see through even her, her accoutrements, her clothing. Yeah, she just walks around topless the entire movie. And it's another great visual bit where she has subtitles because she speaks in sort of a foreign accent, and then even the subtitles are spaced you know, in between her breasts. <laughs> yes. So why, why was this a controversy? Because the yellow Power Ranger, because you saw her breasts? Well, I mean, it wasn't really controversial, but it is a little uh, it was a little jarring as as a young viewer if anybody <laughs> who grew up watching the Yellow Power Ranger got a a whole different view of her if you ever watched this movie. Yeah, and and again, I just have to point out the meta joke here anybody who it's not so much in 90s teen movies, but in 80s teen movies obviously, there was always topless girls in the movie. They were just gratuitous. That was oh, yeah. you know, 100% correlated with teen movies. So, we're just going to go all the way with it and not another teen movie and have a character who is always topless even at a football game in the cold where she's standing out there with like a little isn't it she has like little uh, hand warmers or or muffs around her hands? <laughs> she's just wearing a scarf and like maybe muffs like <laughs> yeah, and she's still topless. 
All right, I have to I have to say a little good visual joke here. Here's one that's going to blow people's minds where uh there's a scene at the end of the movie where Ariola, our topless girl, is leaning out a window and a little cartoon bird settles down and sits on her breast. And it's like a little uh was it Snow White or Cinderella? I forget what that is, but I think it's one of those like Disney princess birds or something like that. They I think didn't they get the rights to use the actual uh, animation animation? I believe they did, but do you know the inside joke there? What kind of bird settles onto her breast? Oh, I'm not familiar with the type of bird. <laughs> the type of bird that settles onto Areola's perky breast is known as a blue tit. Yeah, I just read about that on some trivia page the other day that that's they intentionally picked a tit as the bird that's that lands on her. So there there is your levels of humor in this movie you might not be aware of until you watch it a couple times. Yeah, it's it's why this movie's so great. They they really go deep with the humor. It's not just slapstick toilet humor that uh, a lot of these spoof movies are known for. It's really really smart. Well, I guess we do have to uh, address the elephant in the room there, the actual toilet humor scene then. Oh, God, yeah. I, I really don't enjoy this scene, but yeah, it, it's really – they do a good job with it because as gross as that toilet – well, let's set it up with – um, what is it? Mitch and his two friends are trying to sneak into the girl's bathroom, and they're doing it through the vents, and eventually they get above a girl who enters into a stall and is relieving herself. As you mentioned earlier, there's a sign that the maximum capacity was two adolescent boys, and there's <laughs> three of them in there, and eventually – the vent breaks, the toilet explodes, and then and onto, under a classroom, under <laughs> the floor, and... Yeah, everyone just basically gets covered with shit. It's, it's, uh, this is the thing with this movie. I think this is almost a flawless comedy movie among, you know, as parodies go. But you got the one scene at the start that's a little embarrassing, this poop, poop scene or crap scene, whatever you want to call it, where literally the pipes break, everybody in the class gets covered with excrement. But I will say in this movie's defense, they realize how stupid this scene is. So yeah. it's one of these things you might not remember if you haven't seen it in a while that right before this this toilet scene happens and uh, everything, everything, you know, the shit hits the fan. Literally, the teacher in the class is talking about how, you know, the, the kids in the class are bored by Shakespeare. They don't want to read it or something. And he's he's going on a big rant about, oh, because that's all you adolescents today want to see. You just want to see bathroom humor. You want to see crude humor. Like, you don't want to see uh, well-written comedy or satire. You just want to see bathroom. Sublime bath poetic genius of a clever turn of phrase. That is true comedy. Yes. Your modern, moronic, feeble-minded, sophomoric excuse for wit is merely a parade of nasty, filthy, vulgar excrement. <laughs> yes. And then right after he says that, he literally gets covered with shit when the entire bathroom yeah. falls on him. So I will say, that even though that's a stupid scene and I really wish it wasn't in this movie, the producers are trying to make a point because they even point out, this is all that kids want to see. You just want to see people covered in shit. Well, here you go. And that's exactly what we see. So it's a little more meta than it, than you tend to remember. But I do, of course, wish that scene wasn't in here because that's like I said, when I when I finally show this movie to my daughter and I, again, she's going to be dragging her feet. That scene is right at the start of the movie and that's the one i'm like she's gonna be this is stupid and i'm like i wish that scene wasn't there because that's the one that kind of undercuts this movie yeah i hate that scene too but if it has to be in there and i think they they wanted it to be in there just because that was sort of getting popular and sort of 90s and 2000s movies that that raunchy nasty kind of humor with like freddie got fingered and american pie and stuff like that mm -hmm. so they wanted to touch on it and if that scene had to be in that movie, they did a good enough job with it, with that, you know, soliloquy that uh, the teacher goes on with. So, but it's, it's whatever. Yeah. Although, 
Speaking of tasteless humor, I'm going to go to the next thing on my list, and this is Sandy Sue the Cheerleader. <laughs> oh, I love this as a kid. This was the funniest thing. I found this hilarious. Now, I know this will sound very insensitive, and I apologize in advance, but I'm a comedian, and I only think of things in comedic sense, usually. Tourette syndrome has got to be one of the most underused funny things in movies that they do not use often enough. And for people who don't know, Tourette's is, it's a involuntary neurological thing where you have tics and you scream things when you're not expecting to scream them. And it's a real condition. A lot of people think it means you just swear, and that's not really what Tourette's is. Tourette's is just involuntary, you know, pronunciations and stuff. But in this movie, we have a cheerleader who has Tourette's syndrome. Where <laughs> Her name is Sandy Sue, and she looks just like, you know, Olivia Newton-John in Greece. She's like Miss Prim and Proper 50s cheerleader girl. And she gets up there to do her cheers, and then she unleashes a torrent of profanity, which is wonderful. Just, I, I love the way the actress does it, and it's almost guaranteed to make you laugh the first time you see it, the Tourette's cheerleader. And I'm not going to try to quote her. Perhaps you may have quoted her. You may have written down her exact her <laughs> phrases. But she says things that are not especially pleasant. Well, the one in particular I liked was when I think they let her lead her own cheer at the football game. So she starts off like, give me an A, give me a B, and then she goes, give me a lick my pussy ass cock shit. <laughs> oh my God. But it's funny humor. I, didn't, I particularly remember that as a child. I just thought that was the funniest thing, the Tourette's girl as a cheerleader. And the crowd responds, right? They actually do yell that. Yeah, they actually respond. Lick my pussy ass. <laughs> That's a great scene. Yeah, again, I, I apologize. I know people that there may, that may be an affliction that affects somebody who's listening to this, but as a comic trope, that's about as good as it gets. I I encourage more people use Tourette's as a comic uh, device because it's always funny. And you should apologize to your conjoined twin listeners as well because uh, one of my favorite jokes is when Austin asked Jake, hey, you still taking that four-eyed freak to the prom? <laughs> Speaking about Janie... And then uh, the conjoined twins actually show up and say, hey, we take offense to that. <laughs> and, of course, do you know the joke with the uh, the conjoined twins' names, who they're named after? Oh, no, I forgot their names. I know, what are they, the Fratelli sisters? Is that uh, the Goonies? I don't know. Yeah, that's your Goonies reference for some reason. Yeah, they're in the Fratellis after the Goonies. What, are they supposed to be like uh, the modern-day uh, sloth? I don't know, the, 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 the 80s references in this movie are kind of phoned in, so I will say, that's they, they only half-heartedly went for the Goonies reference there, but again, it's it's enough to acknowledge it. Alright, so another scene here, we have the Breakfast Club scene, and just one of the iconic scenes in this movie, where they yeah. recreate the famous Breakfast Club scene with uh, Paul Gleason coming in and having it out with Bender. He reprises his role as Dick Vernon, how great is that? <laughs> Yeah, Gleason was available. I was very excited that they brought him in. And yeah, he gets in a big fight with Mitch. And what is it? In the in the, in the real Breakfast Club, Mitch gets a bunch of, uh, Bender gets a bunch of detentions. And they basically recreate it in this one. And again, I don't want to just spell it out word for word. I just, uh, if you haven't seen it, just Google. Just Google Not Another Teen Movie Breakfast Club scene. And it's it's one of the most famous scenes in this movie. Yeah, this is one of the funnier ones. And it reminds me exactly of the type of skits that they would have at the, the Movie Award spoofs where... It works because they actually get Paul Gleason to play his uh, his actual character, and it's what they would do in those uh, ones for the MTV Movie Awards where they would take footage from the actual film, and they didn't need to do that here. They got the actual guy to play his character. It was great. Okay, I'm going to do one more here, then I'll hand it off to you. But one other thing I love about this movie, just a little detail, was uh, Randy Quaid plays Janie Briggs' dad, 
and he's based on just an amalgam of all these other dads and teen movies where he's supportive yet crazy, just loving but crude. And at one point, like, Janie's like, uh, how do I get this boy Jake to like me? Like, he asked me to prom. Like, what should I do? And he's like, well, honey, I think you should do it because, you know, Lord knows you could use the popularity points, which I, I love <laughs> that line. It's just the worst advice ever. <laughs> but it's given so lovingly if you kind of buy it. <laughs> But I, I forget which movie, again, this is where I show my ignorance, where the dad always has a nickname for his daughter. Is that 10 Things I Hate About You, where he's always got a nickname for his daughter? That I'm not sure. That's that's really a, a deep cut for me, to, for anybody to remember. We're going to get reamed here, because I know somebody out there who masturbates to 10 Things I Hate About You knows this, but there's one of the dads in one of these teen movies always has an endearing nickname for his daughter, and they keep it up in this movie, too, with Randy Quaid, where he gives Janie Briggs some great advice about dating, and then he says, she says, thanks, Dad, and he's like, anytime, pumpkin tits. <laughs> uh, that's the thing. I don't even know which movie that's referencing. I just know it's referencing a movie, and that's good enough for me. It's just a funny term of endearment, <laughs> calling your daughter especially. <laughs> All right, what do you got on your list here? Um, I just have two more things. I really love uh, their use of cameos. We talked about Paul Gleason, but uh, Sean Patrick Thomas makes a cameo mm -hmm. as the other token black guy at the party. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, the, the token black guy meets another black guy at the party, and they have an existential crisis because you can't have two black guys at the same party. And I believe they even say the same lines where they say, shit, damn, and that is whack. <laughs> I just love that they they really got a, a guy who's actually played the token black guy in a rom-com before. Yeah, like, hey, what are you doing here? What? I'm supposed to be the black guy. This is my movie, man. Come on. <laughs> what is it? Mr. T is in there. Uh, Melissa Joan Hart. Uh, Ferris Bueller's dad plays Jake's dad. <laughs> yes. A bunch of weird ones. And uh, the big one, Molly Ringwald. Yeah, and that's the thing. You're sitting through this whole movie for the first time waiting for the cameos. You see these cameos being popping up left and right, and you're like, Molly Ringwald or Anthony Michael Hall, somebody's going to show up at the end. They have to. And sure enough, Molly Ringwald shows up at the very last scene of the movie where not only does she basically rip the uh, cliches out of the kids' mouths before they say them, but she even curses them out and calls them stupid fucking teenagers. So <laughs> way to go, Molly Ringwald. She did a great job with that one, and... I can't believe she actually was down with doing that movie. Yeah, they must have paid her an awful lot because yeah. she is known for being kind of a recluse. She doesn't like being associated with these teen movies. And I know she and John Hughes had like a big breakup where she just stopped doing teen movies altogether. So, yeah, they I will say that on the 0 0.001 chance that Molly Ringwald is listening to this. Thank you for being a good sport. It added a lot to the movie. All right. So I have a couple other things here. I actually still have about 30, but I'll, I'll do my best <laughs> to whittle these down. All right, so a couple scenes here that I think are just fantastic, where uh, especially one where Jake is trying to seduce uh, Janie, and he comes out in the whipped cream bikini, which is right out of Varsity Blues. Yeah. That was a big iconic scene at the time where Jake has you know whipped cream over his breasts and little cherries and stuff, and it's it's a perfect parody of Varsity Blues. And at one point he says, "Well, this isn't a Sunday; it's a banana split." And you don't realize what he's talking about until he turns around and you see the banana protruding from his butt in a, in a big pile of whipped cream. <laughs> These are the humble beginnings that we were talking about. <laughs> Captain America, right there. Captain America for you, folks. And I guess we have to mention the scene. We would be remiss if we did not mention the... Uh, I will set this one up because I, this will kill if you've never seen it before, where... Uh, Jake Weiler is trying to get Janie to go out with him and his cruel stepsister says well one thing you can do is write a song or find a song with her name oh, in God. it yeah. <laughs> I didn't, you were going to talk about this alright <laughs> and go sing uh, sing her song to her in front of everybody and she'll be impressed so 
I love how the how the I love the thought process behind this joke where so Jake goes up on the school bleachers at the, the football stadium. They're outdoors, and all the art students are down painting in the on the field in the quad down there. And he starts singing the one song he can think of that has Janie's name in it, which is the Aerosmith classic, Janie's Got a Gun. So he starts singing, Janie's Got a Gun. He's got the little scarf hanging down from his microphone, just like Steven Tyler. And he's got, Janie's got a gun. Janie Briggs got a gun. And rather than her being impressed, what this does is this causes a security breach. where One of the other students is horrified. He says, Oh my God, Janie's got a gun and everybody flees. And now the cops come running down and they tase poor Janie because she apparently has a gun on a school campus. And I'm just guessing that joke would not be in a 2018 movie, the gun on the campus. I was just going to say, this is probably one of the jokes that really doesn't age well at all. You know what? I don't care because it's funny. (laughs) I found it funny initially, but uh, as I was rewatching this, I sort of was cringing at this one. Like, oh, geez. (laughs) Well, you know what? There's two things that sell it for this movie, this scene for me is that Janie runs away and gets tased by the cops as a big chase. And then the embarrassed reaction of Jake up in the stands realizing he just got Janie tased and he like drops the mic and slinks away. <laughs> oh man. Great scene. All right. So we're in the kind of the second part of the movie here. Let's so what do we got here? We got about, I would say we got about 15, 20 minutes to play around with here. Anything else you want to talk about? Because I still have a whole list if you want me to go into them or anything specifically you want to mention that you like about this movie still. Well, the only other thing that we haven't talked about so far is the music, which is so perfect. It's not even funny. What they do is they have a bunch of modern bands at the time uh, from the 90s and 2000s covering a lot of classic 80s songs and some that were actually in some of the movies that they're making fun of, which is great. So, for example, like the... I think the Breakfast Club scene they have Don't You Forget About Me covered by Sprung Monkey played for that scene, which is great. Somebody's Baby by Jackson Brown they had covered by Phantom Planet. Uh, that, that was in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. It was really great. And do you, do you know the um, Amanda Becker song? Yeah, that's Kiss Me by Sixpence None the Richer, right? No, 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 no. The one, it's, it's sort of an instrumental when she makes her grand entrance and everything slows down. It's not Kiss Me. Oh, uh, it's actually a song called Boner by Sloppy Seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. Which I was looking at the soundtrack. That's so great. The song's called Boner. <laughs> it's this precious little song that comes in anytime Amanda comes in, which is Mitch's crush. Uh, it's the stereotypical nerdy guy who wants to talk to the popular girl. But every time she enters in a scene, everybody slows down and this song comes on. It's a little like precious little number. It's really slow. It's, it's piano. And uh, it's, song, it's called Boner by Sloppy Seconds. <laughs> there's a great meta joke that I feel we should mention as well that, that uh, for people who don't know, there's a, the dream girl, Amanda Becker. She walks in and every time, every time she walks in a room, everything slows down and they can't talk until she moves. And it's really making fun of Jennifer Love Hewitt and Can't Hardly Wait. Which is a, mm-hmm. it's a wonderful meta joke because the actress playing Amanda Becker is uh, Lacey Chabert, who was Jennifer Love Hewitt's sister in Party of Five. So she's really yeah, playing yeah. her TV sister. So there's another little meta joke there. Yeah, there's a bunch of them. I think even, uh, <laughs> did we mention earlier, uh, Ron Lester plays the exact same character <laughs> from Varsity Blues? Oh, you mean uh, B- uh, Reggie Ray? Reggie Ray, yeah, he played the guy, the exact same guy. Ron Lester plays Billy Bob in Varsity Blues, and he plays Reggie Ray in this. It's amazing. Okay, I'm gonna skim through a couple things just just quickly that we haven't mentioned, and it will get reamed if we don't mention them. There's the uh, the slow clap running scene, running joke in this movie. 
Oh, yeah. Another little thing that I just love is that that was kind of becoming the trope in 90s teen movies where someone would always do a slow clap, like to get the audience and everyone to appreciate what just happened, like a big moment. And it it didn't start in the 90s. They have one of those as far back as Lucas. They have a slow clap at the end of that movie, too. And there's the one character in this movie who's forever trying to start a slow clap, but he can never figure out what the appropriate time to do it is. And so just it becomes a great running gag that he's trying to figure out what's the appropriate moment. And then at the end of the movie, he finally gets the appropriate moment, and then someone else starts the slow clap first, and it start, and it Ricky. winds up in a big fist fight. Yeah, Ricky. Ricky gets his moment. Yeah, so that's another big uh, running joke in the movie. Um, just a little visual joke that I always liked in this movie. There's a scene where there's a big party, and they do this big party scene where a kid's getting ready, his parents are going out of town, they're going to have a big party where all the characters are going to show up. And it's really an homage to Ferris Bueller and uh, Risky Business. It's kind of shot in the first person. Mm-hmm. And there's a great shot where the nerds in this movie are going to drive to the party. It's this big road trip. They're going to lose their virginity. And they, they get in their car, and they start playing it's a, the Cars song, Let's Go, or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's like, road trip. And they literally just drive two houses away and then stop and get out. I don't even think they cross a street. <laughs> the same block. Such a neat little visual joke. It always makes me laugh when I watch that. They, they literally only drive about 100 feet, and that's the road trip. All right, so let's see. I'm going through my notes here. I, I absolutely do not want to miss any of the big scenes because I don't want to get killed because, again, I know I know my listeners. They know this movie inside and out. Um, another great joke here where uh, there's a scene where Janie's painting in the basement and uh, Jake walks down and he's going to, like, they're going to make up. They had a big fight and he's going to make up with her. And she tells the story about how her mother died and how it's tragic. <laughs> I love the jokes in the scene. <laughs> One day my, my mother went out and uh, she was going out to buy her daughter a Christmas present, a Betsy Wetsy doll, and she like, it was rainy and it was a dark night and, you know, it was it happened so fast. And Jake's like, what happened, car accident? And she's like, no, cancer. <laughs> well, well she, you mentioned it, she's trying to make it timely. So she says it was rainy. She was trying to get me a Betsy Wetsy doll. Daniel Day-Lewis won an Oscar for my left foot. <laughs> Again, this is this is not the scene most people remember about this movie unless you've watched it recently, but there's so many little fun dialogue moments where... <laughs> yeah, you got to rewatch this one. It's great. I want to go to art school. That's my dream. I want to go to Paris, and there's a school that I have to attend. It costs $20, $26,000. And Jake's like, well, that's a coincidence. My family, we're rich. We give out scholarships to one art student who wants to study in Paris every year. And she's like, oh, really? And he's like, yeah, we gave it to uh, Lupe Rodriguez, the Mexican finger painter this year. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'm sure Janie will find her scholarship some other other way. She's got some great talent. Okay, one other uh, scene that's big here that I want to mention is there's a, uh, a running subplot in this movie that's like uh, Bring It On, the cheerleader movie. We're kind of re- referencing that here. where <laughs> though that in, That's a uh, famous teen movie from the 2000s starring Kirsten Dunst where the white cheerleaders at one school steal the cheer of the black cheerleaders from an inner city school, and there's a big controversy. So... We referenced that in the movie where they literally steal the black team's cheer at the movie right in front of the black cheerleaders. Did you write it down? Do you have the exact cheer that they do here? It's fairly funny. Oh, I'm not going to quote it verbatim, but (laughs) Um, I think it's just them dancing and they're saying, we're black, we're black, we ain't white, we definitely ain't white. (laughs) It's like, yeah, real original there. Don't they even say we're the North Compton Wildcats or something in their cheer? Oh, yeah, they even point out the name of the school, I think. And then the announcer, like, the announcer's all excited. Damn, those bitches represent. (laughs) Uh. 
Okay, going back to our stuff we love about this movie, you got the cameos, you have Mr. T inexplicably showing up in this movie as the wise old janitor. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not really a reference to any specific teen movie, that's just we wanted to have Mr. T in a movie, so that was good. Yeah, and if you look back, I think he's even in the background in all the flashback scenes of uh, the first game that Jake blows, uh, you can actually see him in the background and his, like, is it that green garb, his tarp that he wears, pretty much. <laughs> I'm always excited when Mr. T is drawing a paycheck, so I think that's a good... It was a good move to bring him in there. Yeah, good for him. Yeah, we get towards the end of the movie here. We have this big... There's a big musical number where, literally, the, all these storylines are diverging and going out of control, and we're trying to get all these people to meet up in one place, and they have a song about how they're all going to meet at the prom, and everything's going to be resolved at the prom, and it's it's kind of a big, neat little musical moment, although... I will say there's a little inside joke that I always, or not really an inside joke, kind of a uh, a comedy trope joke here where they have, they're all singing to the camera, and then at the end of the song, they just hold the last note, and they're just staring there with their arms up pointed towards the camera, and it lingers there for like 10 seconds. Yeah, that's a great shot. It's kind of an Austin Powers joke, because Mike Myers likes to do that, where he, like where Dr. Evil and all his minions are laughing, and they're laughing hysterically, and then they stop, and the camera just lingers on them, and what happens after the laughing is over. And that's kind of a comedy trope that I just like. Like, all right, after the musical number, what happens when they're all just standing there? And we just get this big awkward scene of them holding out their arms to the camera. And then, let's see, we get to the prom at the end of the movie, and all storylines are resolved. And uh, what happens? Jake ends up with Janie, and uh, and uh, Mitch ends up with Amanda Becker. She, she doesn't fall in love with him, but she does manually stimulate him, so it's good. Catherine finds a, a guy to take a dump on her chest. <laughs> Again... We're leaving so much out, I feel bad, but man, we're, like I'm trying to sum up this movie. But yeah, everything works out at the end, and it's all done well, and there's a happy ever after for everybody. And uh, it's okay, let's talk about, I have a couple more things I want to do before we sign off here. You got anything else you want to do? Um, I just love this one quote. Uh, John Benjamin actually appears in this movie. I don't know if this is one of his earlier uh, film roles. Uh, are you aware of John Benjamin? I don't. Who is that? Uh, he's the voice of Archer. He's had a show on comedy central but he's in a, he has this great quote with the the coach after i think uh, jake gets hurt and he's asking can he play and he says oh well, he's in a coma and he says well can he play well, so he can't even breathe he needs to go to a hospital <laughs> <laughs> he just wants him to answer his question can he play i just love that quote okay so one thing before we get to the very wrap up the the wrap up of this movie here is we started you started earlier in the movie quoting the uh famous scene at the end of the movie where the token black guy finally gets to reveal some of his inner character. Yeah. And I think why would we should mention that this is we'll just set this one up for people. You have this one character in the movie, Malik, who again, token black guy, never allowed to be in a storyline, never allowed to say anything other than shit, damn, that is whack. And at the end of the movie, uh, Jake is running out looking for Janie. Janie has gone somewhere and he, he runs into the token black guy and uh, he asks Malik, well, do you know where she went? And Malik, this is the first time he's been allowed to talk ever in a teen movie. He's so excited. So he reels off all these elaborate uh, plot points. Janie's gone here. She's in this motel. She says, don't go there. You can just go to the door. It'll be unlocked. You can do this. He reels off all this amazing storyline data. And why don't you tell us what happens next, Kevin? <laughs> Well, what is he, he telling me? He tells him exactly where uh, where she is, and then Jake responds, "Well, that was great." And it was, I don't even have the. Do you have the written down? I don't have the quote written down. Jake kind of turns to the token black guy and says, "You know, Malik, you're an intelligent, insightful human being who doesn't get the respect he deserves." And Malik's like, 
you know, man, that's the nicest thing anybody's ever said to me. I'd like to expound on that, and we can talk about this, and I'd love to share some ideas. And Jake's like, hold that thought for a minute. i got to run. And he runs out. And Malik just kind of goes, motherfucker. <laughs> I'm mad he didn't say that's whack there. Yeah. <laughs> I just love that they put that in there as a joke that, uh, you know, for all the, the harping that they did on uh, on the black guy's character, and if you think that's insensitive or whatnot, at least they have this little line in here where, you know, he's underappreciated and should appreciate him more. All right, so I'm just going to wrap it up. I have a quick little bullet list of, of like 10 more things. I'll reel these off as quick as possible. Just want to make sure I don't step on you. Anything else you wanted to add before I finish off my last 10 here, Kevin? No, I'm good. You go for it. All right, thank you, Mr. Cummins. <laughs> All right, so 10, the last 10 things I love about Janie, uh, uh, this movie. 10 things I love about this movie. So, I love that the Chris Klein guy, there's a guy who plays Chris Klein in American Pie. Oz. I don't even know the actor's name. Sam Huntington. Sam Huntington. He's sta- there's a scene at the, par- at the prom where he's standing there at the punch bowl, and he literally starts singing the song that Chris Klein's... <laughs> he sings the exact song that Chris Klein sings in American Pie, and I always thought that was a great little touch, the shooby dooby doo song. Yeah, his dancing is great in that, too, if you watch. <laughs> it's like the funkiest little dance. <laughs> All right. Here's a line that I love. The cocky blonde guy, like we said at the start of the podcast, is always saying, Jakey, Jakey, Mr. You Made a Mistakey. He's always coming up with these little these little plays on words, which are stupid. And so there's one at the end where he decides to lapse into Spanish for no reason. <laughs> Again, I would never remember this one if I hadn't just seen the movie where... He's mad that Jake blows the championship game, and he comes up, and he's going to give one of his little witticisms, and he says, You know, Jake, you just blew my perfect season, senor. You just blew my perfect season. <laughs> he's going Spanish with it now. <laughs> That's the line that always kills me, because you're not ready for it. Yeah, it comes out of nowhere. And then I think I mentioned the heckler screaming, screaming Jake, do it for Marty's torso. Yeah. There's a scene in the in the football scene when they're running around playing the football game. You can see everybody's character is is written on the back of their jersey as their name. Like Jake just says Jake, <laughs> and Austin says Austin, and Malik says Malik. And there's one guy, if you look, just says extra on the back of his jersey, which I appreciated that little joke. Oh, wow. I didn't catch that. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Here's a great line at the start of the movie when the three nerds, Mitch and his two buddies, are trying to get laid. They've made a pact. They're going to get laid before graduation. And one of them laments... How are we going to get laid before we graduate? And one of them says, well, we're freshmen. Freshmen. <laughs> oh, that's great. Is that, is that a plot point in a movie where the freshmen are trying to get uh, get laid, or is that American Pie? No, they're, they're seniors in American Pie. They're seniors. Yeah, that's the whole point of that pack, that you're a senior, so you have to do it before you leave. So gotcha. there, therein lies the joke. We still have three years plus this year. All right, so I think you mentioned when they say who the prom king is and somebody yells, Marty! Marty for prom king! Oh, man, I think uh, I think we got everything. I got Ricky, I got the soundtrack. Okay, here is the last thing I wanted to mention. It's just a real minor plot point, but I will mention it here. Where, where uh, There's a scene where they're at the party, and Janie is trying to fit in with all the popular kids, and she gets drunk, and she jumps off the balcony into the pool, <laughs> and she screams, I'm a golden goddess, which is a reference to Almost Famous, which is most definitely not a teen movie. I'm not sure why that, other than its oblique reference to Cameron Crowe. But, uh, yeah, so she jumps out, and uh, the mean girl comes up, and she's going to humiliate Janie in front of everybody. This is Jamie Presley. 
And she walks over, and as in, I think it's uh, She's All That, she humiliates her by dumping a, a, a drink all over her dress and embarrassing her for in front of everybody. But I don't know if people caught that in this movie, what what happens is that Jamie Presley dropped, just pours water onto her. <laughs> it's just water. She just jumped into the pool. Yeah, Janie literally just came out of the pool, so she's soaking wet, and Jamie Presley jumps water on her, and all of a sudden it's the most humiliating thing, and Janie cries and runs off, even though she was soaked to begin with. Well, another off-screen joke is somebody in the background goes, that's going to stain. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, it, again, just... One of the funniest movies of its era, and like I said, I, I, it's so high on the return on investment scale because you are expecting nothing going into this, and it's so much funnier, and it's so witty, so much wittier, and there's so many little background jokes and references to stuff, and like, like I said, the, the American Pie room, you don't even realize, they don't point it out, this is the exact same room Jim had in American Pie, just so much stuff going on in this movie, and you can hear how much fun we're having talking about it. And again, it's not a movie for everybody. If you don't like teen movies and parodies and comedies, obviously you're not going to like it. But if that kind of stuff makes you laugh, this movie is about as funny as it gets, I would say. Yeah, I agree with you. There is the the nasty toilet humor and some, some of the jokes are stupid. But all in all, I think this is the best parody movie of all time. And it shouldn't be lumped in with all those other ones. So you're going to rank this above Airplane? Um, I'd say so. Yeah, I I like it more. This, this is my generation of of yeah. film. If I was your age, I'd probably say Airplane. Yeah, I don't think that's necessarily a wrong opinion. I'm just I'm impressed that it has that level of prestige among younger people. Because again, Airplane is like like the hallowed movie among people my age. And I can see if if this movie is that level of prestige among like people you know and your friends, that that's that's pretty impressive. So I think that speaks a lot to it. Yeah, it's our it's our generation's Airplane, I guess, or it should be. And again, just before we sign off, I should say there's a great moment in this scene where, at the end, Ricky is running after uh, Jake. They're both chasing after Janie, and and and, uh, and uh, Jake, of course, runs through airport security, and everyone lets him through because he's the popular kid. And then Ricky wants to run through airport security, and they tell him to basically fuck off. <laughs> it's a great moment. <laughs> I will say there's a joke that they don't spell out here where as Ricky's running across the street, he gets constantly harassed and bombarded by these paper boys all driving by saying, I want my $2, which all anybody, any child of the 80s knows that's a better off dead reference. So very excited that there's that one. They don't they don't point out that joke or like or mug to the cameras or really spell it out. But yeah, there's fun little better off dead stuff going on there, too, at the end. Oh, well, I've. I've wasn't even aware of that one either wow yeah this yeah. movie's got tons of references like that yeah better off dead and again lucas they're pulling off all sorts of weird obscure stuff so again i just uh want to thank you for stopping by kevin and i will say this was a movie that i was it was always on my list to do on staff picks because you can tell it just makes me laugh so hard mm -hmm. and i just love it but Kevin had emailed me the other day. He said, have you ever thought of not another teen movie? And I'm like, you know, I was thinking of doing that. And Kevin really was hyping it. So he basically talked me into doing this on like two days notice. This is one we just kind of threw together because we were so excited and just had, we were having fun emailing about it. So I really want to thank you for kind of fast tracking this one because this is one that I always wanted to do and that we had so much fun today. So I just I want to appreciate you coming on and talking about it. That's what I'm here for, pumpkin tits. <laughs> thank you. And again, my name is Mario Lanza. Um, uh, you can reach me, uh, staffpickspodcast at gmail.com. You can reach me on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. 
And until the next time I talk to you, I will be out there looking for more underrated, underloved movies, and hopefully somebody interesting to come on and talk about them. Talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye.